Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. <laughs> uh, today we're in week two of our series, God, Me, and 2023. I don't know about you, but I have huge expectations this year of what God's going to do in my life. Is there anybody in the house that says, I'm believing God to do great things in my life? Anybody, anybody here with some big dreams? You got some big dreams, believing God to do some big things, expand our capacity, Jesus, make us bigger, make us better, get us in line with what you want to do. I remember when I was a young Christian, everyone would say, don't run ahead of God, don't run ahead of God. Most, I hated that phrase, and, but I, how do you run ahead of God who's already ahead of you? Like, we've got to catch up. We're not, we're not running ahead of God. We're trying to catch up. God's already out there calling us on, drawing us forward. And so we want to make sure that we get ourselves positioned to do that, get our head in the game. And so we've started this series, God, Me, and 2023. Say, God, God. Me, me, and 2023. This is your year. This is your moment. This is your season. This is your time. And you are in a great partnership with the God of creation, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. I, I prophesy over you right now that 2023 is going to be a great year. Slam the door on last year. Open the door to a brand new year. And it's going to be great. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 to 5 has been our anchor passage of Scripture. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase. Everyone say increase. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtains guidance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and powerful. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword able to get into our life and penetrate us from the inside out, changing us. We wanna be better as we go out today than when we came in. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work with me, not just to preach another message in another service, but to have a prophetic edge. I pray that you give every man and woman in here right now the ability to hear Holy Spirit, what you're saying to them, individually and to us as a church collectively. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. I'm not sure if you had this experience when you were a child, but we used to talk about, you know, like if you got a teapot and uh, you rub the teapot and out came a genie, what would you wish for? If the genie's like, I give you three wishes. What would you, what would your wish, did anybody ever do that when you're a kid? And you're like, some people are like, I wish I had a new bike and I wish I would get extra more chocolate or I wish our church would never do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, but inevitably, you know, you thought you could outsmart the genie. You go, I know what I'd wish for. I'd, I'd, I'd wish for endless wishes. Wishes, anybody ever do that? You thought you were the smartest kid in the world. And raise your hand if you ever ask for any, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of us around the planet <coughs> that we'd ask for that. And uh, that just seemed like the premium wish at that point. God comes to Solomon. We pick it up in 1 Kings chapter three in Gibeon. The Bible says the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said to him, ask 
what shall I give you? Ask what I shall give you. Now, this is not a fantasy genie in a bottle, a what if, you know, wouldn't it be cool moment. This is God, the creator of the universe, the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. The God who spoke the things that we see into existence. So this is not some mystical, magical. This is Solomon having an encounter with God and God is saying to him, if you name it, it's yours. Anything you want, You've got it. It appears unlimited in its scope. It, it seems to be unlimited in its quantity. Anything that you want, Solomon, ask me and I am gonna give it to you. Solomon takes the time to reflect. And as he thinks about God, there is no question in his mind in the goodness of God. There's no question in his mind about the favour of God. His father and his family had experienced God's favor. His father and his family had experienced God's great love. His father and his family had experienced God's great blessing. And so Solomon is sitting in the king's seat and he says, well, I look what you did to my dad, David, and you've done to my family, that you love my father enough that you've continued his legacy by placing his son on the throne legacy back there, big deal. Still a big deal today, but a big deal. And it was an indicator of the goodness and the blessing of God. And so in his mind, there's no question about the goodness of God. Solomon's question is not about God's ability. Solomon is questioning his own personal ability. So, so Solomon's like, I, I have no questioning on the bigness, the greatness, the magnitude, the favor, the goodness of God or God's ability, but I, I feel totally overwhelmed with vulnerability. You've made me the king and I'm overwhelmed by the task. You've made me the king and I'm overwhelmed by the responsibility. You've made me king and I'm overwhelmed by the magnitude of this opportunity. You've made me the king and I feel totally inadequate. In fact, Solomon says, I, I, I am but a child. I am too young to do this. I, I lack age, I lack maturity, and I lack experience. Sum it up, Solomon's going, help! I have no idea what I am doing. I, I, I've been there. I, I felt that vulnerability. When I was 27 years of age, uh, I was a part of a large church in Sydney, Australia, and they planted three churches about the same time, New Zealand, uh, England, and Kiev. And I was sent to plant a church in Manukau City, New Zealand. I was about a year out of Bible college, and I was sent to plant this church. And I gotta be honest with you, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, like as far as the restaurant industry, I, I trained as a chef, that's my background. So you put me in a kitchen, no problem. I could run a kitchen any size. Uh, when I was 22, I was running three kitchens for a man. I was making him so much money uh, because the business was prospering that when I told him I was resigning to go to Bible college, he spent like two hours trying to talk me out of God. 
I think the end of the conversation was something like, he said, when you go a couple of years down, find God's not real, come back, I'll give you a job. And I think I said to him, in a couple of years, when you find God's real, come and tithe into my ministry. That's how the conversation finished. I was very good at what I did. Ran restaurants and I was very confident. So 21, super cocky, super arrogant, knew what I was doing. 27, planning a church, not that, not that cocky. Feeling very intimidated. In fact, I remember going to my, my interview for church planning and, and I'm already on my way. You know, gonna plan a church and uh, the, the leaders that were planning it, pretty much like, what, what's your plan? What's your strategy? How are you gonna plant this church? And I had no plan. So I, and I wouldn't say that. I'm like, I'm, no plan, gonna go over. Hope for the best. I was like, so I, I think I said something like, well, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go to New Zealand. I'm gonna go to, to the area. I'm gonna attend Manurewa Assembly of God, Pastor Alex Larson. I'm gonna attend his church for about six months. And after about six months, I'm gonna spread a rumor about him and split the church. And I'm gonna take those people, I'm gonna plant a church down the road. And I said, now I listen, I know, very, very bad plan, not a good plan, that's all I have at the moment. If you've got something better, I'd really like that. It was like, like I had no idea. what That wasn't my plan, by the way. They looked at me a little bit like some of you were looking at me like, really, you're gonna do that? No, it's a joke. Everyone breathe in and breathe out. But that was me, I had no idea. They gave me $2,000 cash and an overhead projector. That was my, that was what they launched me out on. And uh, I spent the first $1,000 on news bulletins. Why? Because I had no idea what I, was, what I was doing. I did two years of Bible college and graduated at the top of my class, but I was, you know, felt pretty adequate biblically, but when it came to running a church, I felt, we, we did 40 hours study on the tabernacle. Four zero, 40 hours of Bible college study on the tabernacle. If you went camping, you needed a tent, I'm your man. We were all typology. I could tell you every doorpost and what it meant. I could tell you about how the three crosses are laid out where people camped and da-da-da-da and the holies and the holy of holies and, 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 and the ram skins dyed red, man. I was experienced in tabernacle knowledge, but I had zero knowledge about buildings. And if you've ever planted a church, you would understand that it requires a building. We're in a building today, why? Because we come together in a building, but they didn't teach us anything about buildings. I didn't know anything about zoning. I didn't know anything about compliance. I didn't know anything about local government ordinances. I'd never heard of such a thing as a building code. No idea about a fire code. Had never even once been told about parking codes. What's the one thing you need to build a church? A building, and if you're gonna have a building for the community, all those things become incredibly important. I remember the first time that we broke a code and I got the phone call to go down to the office of the local government and the guy's on the other side of, he's talking to me and, and, and I just looked at him and I'm like, sorry man, I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. And he looked at me like, and they left you in charge with the church? <laughs> and I'm like, do you need a tabernacle? Maybe something the mayor could be. Maybe the mayor could give up his office and sit in a, I'm the man. Felt very, very unprepared. Even, even, when, I, even when I could rely on 
the stuff that they taught me, like the stuff that they taught me and apply it to ministry, even that was, I remember we were taught counseling. I'm not a counselor, but you know, when you start in a church and you, you got to do some level of counseling. And so I remember all the techniques and this one girl, first girl ever to come to our church to need counseling. And she makes an appointment. And so I make sure there's no desk, put her on a couch, I'm on a couch, doors open, all this, all the things that you've got to do when you're counseling. And so, and she, her problem was she wouldn't talk. At all. Comes in for a counseling appointment and her issue is she won't talk at all. And so I ask a question, doesn't talk. I ask another question, doesn't talk. I ask a leading question, doesn't talk. I lean in, ask a question, she doesn't talk, nothing. So then I remember, oh, that lecture on counseling that says, don't fear the silence. I ask a question, just sit in silence, give them some time. They're thinking about it. They're going to answer the question. And so I asked a question and then I allowed her to sit in silence. And then without bugging her, I just let her take the time to think about the question and she sat there in silence for 30 minutes and I sat there like this <laughs> I knew it's not good don't fall asleep and I had a lot of these <laughs> just boom and just about broke my neck and and but but and, and then I remember the first hospital visitation I did to somebody whose father had passed away he was in his 90s and they called me and they're like, Pastor John, my father's just passed away. He's gone to heaven. And will you come down to the hospital and minister to the family? So I jump in my car, I'm driving down. And all I remember doing driving to the church is, oh Lord, oh God, I wasn't praying for the family. Oh God, help me don't pass out. Please help me not to pass out. I don't like hospitals. And so I'm praying all the time for me. And I get down there and Bible college, you know, come flooding back into my head. And so when you're in that situation, in a grieving situation, there's a tone of your voice you have to use. So I walk in the room and... Um, how are you guys doing? My name is Pastor John Morgan. It's great to be with you and your family. Lovely to meet you because this is how you talk. Somebody's past. You want to show compassion. And so I've got my voice. Is this perfect pitch, Pastor Dan? Is this how, when you do this, you, this is how, I, it was, am I getting an A plus for this? This is, this is the pastor voice. You're going into the hospital, minister to somebody. And so I said to them, um, uh, is there anything you'd like me to do for you in the family right now? I'd love to minister to you at this time. My name's Pastor John Morgan, and I'd like to minister. Is there anything you'd like? And they, they're crying, and they said, yes, please. Would you, would you mind taking his wedding ring off his finger? And the first thing I thought, I know this makes no sense, but the first thing I thought was, what happens if I pull the ring off, ring off his finger and the whole finger comes off? <laughs> and you're trying to glue it back on. Needless to say, in those early days of ministry, I felt unbelievably inadequate. God, I have no idea. So I have a lot of compassion right here for Solomon. It's like, I gotta, I gotta leave this, you're great people and God, I need you to give me Wisdom, give your servant therefore an understanding and a mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. Solomon's request is God, I, I, I wanna do what you've called me to do, but I, I wanna do it well. And if I'm gonna do it well, I need wisdom. If I'm gonna do it well, I need understanding. If I'm gonna do it well, I need discernment. If I'm gonna do it well, I need to be able to navigate between good and evil. I need to be able to discern that. I, I, I wanna be able to lead this your great people. He understood the principle that wisdom is the difference between being followable and being barely tolerable. 
As a leader, you'd have to have wisdom. All of us have to have wisdom. And, and, and God's response to Solomon's request is in verse 11. God said to him, because you have asked for this, and you've not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked your, for yourself understanding to discern what is right. He's like, I, I left that question wide open. It was a test. I was waiting to see how you would respond. And you could have asked for long life. That was out there. That, that could have been a response from you. Uh, you could have asked for health. You could have asked for longevity. You could have asked for fitness. You could have asked for a, a lifetime supply of Botox. But you didn't ask for long life. You, you, you could have asked for riches. You could have asked for wealth, prosperity, fame, a couple of million followers on TikTok. You could have asked whatever you want. I left it wide open. You could have even asked for revenge on those who hurt you, those who abused you, those who let you down. You could have asked me to take revenge out on your enemies, but you didn't do that. And we know somebody in the, in the, in the New Testament, when Herodias' daughter was dancing in front of Herod, and after she danced, he, the king, is really impressed. And he's so impressed. He says to this young girl, listen, whatever you want, I'll give you whatever you want up to half of my kingdom. That's a lot of kingdom. Whatever you want, ask whatever you want up to half of my kingdom. And she goes to her mother and she goes, mom, what should I ask of the king? And the woman says, I want you to go and get the head of John the Baptist. She says, I want you to take revenge out for me. So he could have asked for revenge, but he, he didn't ask that. He says, God, what I want is I need to have wisdom. You could have asked for long life. You could have asked for riches. You could have asked for revenge. You could have even asked for endless requests or endless wishes, but you ask for wisdom. James taught us if you lack wisdom, then ask God who gives generously wisdom to all without reproach and it will be given him. So Solomon asked God for wisdom and he gets that and he gets more. Look what it says in verse 12. Behold, I'll now do according to your word. Behold, I'll give you a wise and discerning mind. You're gonna get the wisdom. No one is gonna uh, be before you and none shall arise after you. And I'll also give you what you have not asked for. I'll give you riches and honor so that no other king shall compare with you all your days and you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David did and, and walk, and then I will lengthen your days. So God says to him, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to, I'm going to give you wisdom. Because you've asked for wisdom, I'm also going to add wealth. I'm also going to add health. I, I notice the thing that God doesn't add is vengeance on his enemies. Verse 29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's response surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all other men. He was an expert on Sudoku puzzles. I just put that in there. It wasn't invented there. But he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs and he wrote over 1,000 songs. As a church right now, we are, we are getting ourselves into alignment 
for what God wants to do in our life in 2023. Anybody getting their life in alignment right now? Give me a shout if you're saying, God, come on. I, I, I'm getting myself into alignment. I'm getting ready. I'm getting, I gotta tell you that the 9.30 service was a lot louder than you are right now. They weren't as good looking, but they, uh, they were louder. In this world, uh, we, we need wisdom. I, I'm about you, but I, as a leader right now, if you have a business or you're in the educational field or in government, wherever you're at right now, it's like, God, I, I, I need your wisdom. The world around me seems to have lost its mind. You listen to the news, you listen to what people are talking about, you read articles and you think to yourself, man, uh, people have lost their minds. Some of the laws that they're trying to pass, some of the things that they're trying to push through, the world has lost its mind and we need wisdom. We need wisdom. We, we need wisdom in a world that has decided to value feelings over facts. Feelings of being my truth has overtaken the real truth. And we need wisdom to navigate through that minefield. People are easily offended. Some of you are offended because I said people are easily offended. That's how easily some people are offended. And so we need wisdom not to say people are easily offended when they're preaching. And so I won't say it for the rest of my message. But that's the wisdom that we need because it's like everyone's just waiting to be hurt. We need wisdom to navigate. Proverbs chapter one says to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction, wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise, I, I love this. Because even if you feel like, man, I'm already smart. I, I am, I've been a Christian, I, I know what I'm about. I'm, let let the wise hear and increase. Let the wise hear and increase. I've been doing ministry for 30 something years now, so I don't feel inadequate like I did when I was starting out. I, I know what I'm doing now. I've planted churches, I've pastored churches, I've coached churches, I've been on, I'm on church. So I, 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 I'm pretty confident in what I'm doing. But, but even at that point, you, you still say, I know you wanna do way more than you've ever done before and wanna take us to areas that we've never been in before. And if you're gonna take us where we've never been before, we need wisdom to get in there. So even though we can feel confident, you still gotta be in that place to say, God, I desire to learn from you more. God, I, I decide, I, I desire to have more knowledge. I, I desire to have more wisdom. God, I, I, I wanna get smarter at the things that you've called us to do and have knowledge how to get to the areas that we've never been in before. Instruction, knowledge, understanding, discretion, wisdom. These are all the things that God says we need. And they, just to me, just to be honest with you, are the words that are incredibly undervalued in the church. In the Pentecostal church, we built everything around God told me. And we've not used words like wisdom and understanding and discretion and discernment and all those things. We, we've pretty much not done it physically, but we've pretty much taken the middle bit of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, we've ripped out and said, we don't need that. But I would suggest to you today that everybody, every one of us needs the wisdom of God more than we've ever needed the wisdom of God ever in history. 
The very, very first thing that the Bible says Jesus grew in was wisdom. He grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew in favor with God, and he grew in favor with man. All those elements, if it was good enough for the Son of God to grow in wisdom, I would suggest to you that it's good enough for you and I to need to grow in wisdom. Is there anybody in the house today that says, God, I I, I wanna grow like that in 2023? So last week we talked about the pursuit of wisdom as being our first key. My son, receive my words, treasure up my commandments, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding, seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasures. The result of that is the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So God says, if you want a greater respect for me, a greater knowledge, if you want to enter into my presence, then you need to start to cry out for wisdom. You need to treasure up his commandments. You need to make your ear attentive to those sort of things. Why? Because a healthy soul leads to a healthy spirit. I need my mind, I need my will, and I need my emotions healthy because that's the arbitrator between the spirit and the world around me. Second key, trust the Lord. Proverbs 3 verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? Make straight your paths. So like, I don't know, I'm heading God, I don't know where I'm going. Life has been like a zigzag and up and down hills. Come back to here. God says, trust in me, lean on me. Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the first premise of everything we do, the first premise of all wisdom has to come out of the foundation that I trust God. My faith is in God. My heart is locked in with God. I'm in the present. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. My whole soul is embedded and engaged in trusting God. And I lean not on my own understanding. Now, when I can align my understanding up with his understanding and get that understanding, now I can operate in understanding. But it begins with the fear of the Lord and trusting God. In all your ways, acknowledging him, he will make your straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your flesh and it'll be refreshments to your bones. Healing to your flesh, refreshments to your bones. What did Solomon not pray for? He didn't pray for health. What did God give him as a bonus? Gave him health. He gave him these exact things, healing to your flesh and refreshments to your bones. Comes out of wisdom, goes on and says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. What is God saying to him here? You're gonna be blessed financially. You're gonna have an abundance of blessing financially. What did he not ask for? He didn't ask for riches. What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. Because he asked for wisdom, God says, I'm gonna give you health and I'm gonna give you riches. I'll give you those things in a bonus. But that wisdom begins with trusting in the Lord with all your heart and not leaning on your own Understanding, acknowledging God in all your ways. I think it's interesting right here in uh, the book of Proverbs that the very, very first thing God attacks is the God that tries to set itself up as a God in your life, and that's the God of mammon. He says, honor the Lord. 
He says, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Before you spend a dime on anything else, honor my kingdom. Before you spend a cent anywhere else, I want you to take a, a portion of your income away. In the Old Testament, he talks about the tithe. Take 10% of your income. I like the fact of the tithe. I think it's very scriptural and biblical. I've done it. My wife's done it. We've, I've been doing this all my Christian life. I've been tithing into the kingdom of God. I, I, I like the 10% because it's easy math. I'm glad he didn't ask for like 16.98%. I'd never be able to give an offering. But the tithe is easy. And here's the thing about the tithe. It's never gone up. They put your taxes up. But God's never put his tithe up. And because he's never put the tithe up, he's never changed this premise. He said, if you want to trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, it begins in your checkbook. It begins in your bank account. And it begins on your credit card. I, I want you to trust me with your, that's where wisdom begins in the fear and reverence of God. God, I wanna build your kingdom. And the biblical, biblical principle is if we will build God's kingdom, God will build our kingdom. So God's telling Solomon, hey, listen, if you want, bring that first in, bring, bring the increase. He not only become the smartest man, but he became the wealthiest man. Why? Because God promises here that our, our vats will become bursting with new wine and the barns will be filled with plenty. And so we kill the demon of mammon. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll take care of your health. He'll take care of your wealth. And I would throw in there that he'll even take care of your enemies. Key number three is guard your heart. Bible says in Proverbs chapter four, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. We spent some time on this passage last week in Proverbs 23. Do not eat the bread of a miser nor desire his delicacies for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. But this passage is saying, if you go out with a stingy person and you're sitting at a dinner table in a restaurant and they're like, Order whatever you want. Anything on the menu, you just order it. Just take it, it's all yours. Whatever you want, just order whatever you want. But on the inside, they are calculating the price. You're like, oh, I think I will take the grilled salmon. And under their breath, you hear, that's $30 for grilled salmon, that's 30. And you don't want any sides with that, do you? You just want the grilled salmon, just that's all. No, I'm thinking about some sides. Why is he even thinking about some sides? They're calculating, or you can hear, you can feel the, you mentioned the word appetizer, they just about lose their head. Soon as, you, soon as you've taken your first bite of the meal, they're paying the bill so you don't order dessert. Why? Because as you think in your heart, that's who you are. You can't escape who you are. And so that's why, fixing our heart and guarding our soul and growing in these areas is so important. Wisdom says, guard your heart. Why? Because out of your heart come the issues of life. You can't stop anybody from hurting you, but you can control how you respond to the hurt. People are gonna hurt you. They're gonna lie about you. They're gonna offend you. They're gonna disappoint you. It's just gonna happen. If you're gonna be in ministry, it's gonna happen for decades. Just, just suck it up, get used to it. That, that's, that, that's what it is. But here's the reality. The Bible says, guard your heart. You have the responsibility. I've been hurt, but I am not hurt. 
because I, I, I value that who I am on the inside is gonna manifest on the outside. So I guard my heart. I tell people when they're starting a ministry, this is how you've gotta be. You've gotta have the hide of a rhinoceros and the heart of a marshmallow. You're gonna keep a soft heart. You gotta love God and love people despite what comes at you, but you've got to be able to deflect stuff as it comes off you. What tends to happen if you don't guard your heart is you end up with a hide of a marshmallow, everything upsets you, and you end up with a heart of a rhinoceros where you're like, I don't, want to, I don't want to hang with people. I just want to isolate myself from everybody. Guard your heart. So you need to set up some motion detectors, senses to let you know when your heart is under attack. Bible says a man without self-control is like a city broken down and left without walls. There needs to be some motion detectors to let you know that intruders are gonna try to get into your life. When the city is broken down and without walls, anything that can come in, that's why self-control is so important. That's why you're gonna have self-control. You're gonna know, you're gonna be in control of the situation and see where there's things coming. Self-discipline, self-control, self-awareness, in some cases, self-confidence, are motion detectors for something or someone who is trying to get control of your heart. I, I think you need to check with surveillance cameras. That's an awareness of things that are trying to break into your life. Matthew, Jesus, uh, Matthew records Jesus saying, do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? The, the Pharisees are angry at Jesus because the disciples aren't washing their hands ceremonially. This is weird. And so they go to Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, listen, the food's not the issue. What goes into your mouth goes into your stomach and expelled. That's never, that's never the problem. What, what the problem is, is this. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that is what defiles a person. He's like, what comes out of you is what defiles you because what comes out of you is a result of what's in you. Food goes into your mouth, comes out, but things come out of your, your mouth because I've come out of your heart. That life and death, the Bible says, are in the power of the tongue. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are the things that come out of your mouth. He's like, don't worry about what goes into your mouth. What goes into your mouth is like pizza and pupusas and chicken. I shouldn't be fasting and talking about food simultaneously. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching myself hungry right now. Chicken, roast chicken with gravy, a demi-glaze gravy, just poured over, over the chicken. Just beautiful, just a, a ladle of the gravy. Some garlic thrown in with the roast chicken, some beans fried up, pan fried with some beurre noisette and just on the side, some sweet potato, just, just just cooked in your air fryer. I feel like that picture of, of champion, right? He's like, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out. Look what comes out. These are all bad things. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, witness. All these things are a result of your heart condition. So he's saying, listen, you need to watch what you watch. The food gate is not what messes you up, it's the soul gate. What goes into your soul, what goes into your mind, what goes into your will, what goes into your emotions, that right there is where you need to set up the security system, surveillance system, so you can watch what you watch. 
that you can watch what you read, watch what entertains you, watch what you focus on, discern what you're listening to, discern conversations that you're having, discern what teaching you engage, discern what you're flicking through on social media, discern what you're watching on television, discern your thoughts, discern your hurts, discern your friends. There may be some friends that you need to, you know, there are certain friends that we can, I can be friendly, but we're not gonna be friends. It's like, see ya, I I don't wanna be ya. Now I can be friendly to you. I'm not gonna be mean. I'm gonna smile, hey, how you doing? But I'm not gonna hang with you. Why? Because I don't wanna hang with you because if I hang with you, I'm gonna be like you. I, I don't wanna have anybody in my life that's consistently dropping negative stuff about people. I don't want to know the gossip about the pastor down the road. I, I don't want to know the criticism of all the different people. I don't want to, I don't want to get in there. Why? Because it doesn't help. I don't know anything about anybody. But some people seem to know everything about everybody. And it's not because you're a genius. It's just because everybody else on the planet feels like you're a perfect garbage dump. And so they just come and dump all their negativity on you and you absorb it. And maybe, maybe there's impacting your life in ways that you don't want. We need to turn on the intruder alarm, set the word of God up as a warning alarm. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man cleanse his way, make his way pure by guarding it according to the word of God? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart. Why? So I will not sin against you. The Word of God is in there. So when something is counter, counter, countering the Word of God, that you have these alarms going off like that's not God. So the enemy or somebody comes up to you, a, a husband, a wife, a, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and says to you, you're nothing, you're nobody, you'll never be anything, you're a mistake, you're a loser, and they just start vomiting all that over you. The Word of God should be, boom, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. The Word of God needs to come alive in you. When intimidation comes at you and they're trying to put fear on you, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Circumstances go crazy. The devil comes in trying to make you freak out, lose your mind. You should stand back and the alarm of God's Word needs to go off. And that needs to be the predominant thought that jumps out and attacks the enemy. But it won't happen unless you're hiding it in your heart. Employ a security company. Build yourself a defense network. Bible says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I, I believe every healthy soul begins with healthy relationships. And I, I, I thank God for the healthy relationships that I have in my life. People who help you process pain, process your abuse, process your shame, your fear, your anxiety, all those things, your anger, your addictions. We need good friends, a counselor, a pastor, a leader, a doctor, a psychologist, a really close friend, somebody who can be there to help us process, a security company that will help us guard our heart. Let me me finish today with this one last thought. We have a couple of minutes left. Cultivate great mentors. Proverbs chapter five says, you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to my instructors. 
My, my, probably my number one frustration as a pastor is people who just won't listen, who can't listen, who refuse to listen. The, 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 the trump card of most Christians will play will be God told me. Now again, you've heard me say it before, I believe God speaks to us. God, God does speak to us, that's not an issue, but we use it like a playing card. We use it like we're walking through the grocery store and God's like, get the Cheerios. And you know, we've got that in a minute. And so we tend to drop it like the uh, ultimate, I don't want any correspondence, I've made this decision, I'm, I'm just here to tell you my decision, not to ask you whether this is a wise decision. And so as a leader, even in conversations with people and you, you talk them through and they think, you, you know they're not gonna listen. And it becomes heartbreaking to the point now that I pretty much go into every conversation understanding this is probably a waste of my time. You're probably gonna listen to nothing I say because you're already smarter than me anyway. I'll give you my opinion, but I don't place a lot of value that you're gonna follow through on the opinion. Why? Because people just don't listen. And we all need wise counsel. Every one of us needs input. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, you think you're that smart, eh? You got all the wisdom, like the big guru in the office. You know everything. No, I don't know everything. And because I don't know everything, and I know I don't know everything, I'm smart enough to ask people who know something. Even when I feel like God told me, I may start the conversation with, I think God may be speaking to me, but we need to think about all these things. When I was pastoring in New Zealand, Russell, you can come up. When I was pastoring in New Zealand, we had this beautiful girl in our church. Great, great girl, spectacular. And she had some depression issues and they put her on medication. Well, now we know, we didn't know back then, that some depression medications give you suicidal thoughts and the girl took her life. And it hit our church hard. As a pastor, I was angry. I'm just glad God didn't kill me because I was angry. Her parents were confused. Her brothers were confused. Our youth ministry was decimated. How how do we handle the situation in church with this beautiful young girl that's suicide? I don't know. I don't know what to do. But because I believe I've asked God for wisdom, I had the wisdom of calling my friend Steve Kennedy in Brisbane. And so I said to Steve, hey man, this is what's happened. What do I do? Steve said to me, I don't have a clue. I have no idea. I've never had to deal with that. He said, but let me call my friend Mark Edwards. Mark was another pastor in town, a lawyer, genius, genius. And uh, so he called Mark and about six o'clock that night, he called me back and said, these are all the things that Mark has told me to do. And he gave me a list and I wrote everything down verbatim. I didn't add any of my own thought. I didn't add anything else. One of the things that they told us was, don't get up and just talk about it. Read, read a statement, write something down so you can process it. Show the statement to the parents, make sure they're happy. You know, read a statement, read it verbatim, read it word for word. As a pastor, don't read the statement. Generally, the first person to make the announcement of the tragedy is the person that they take the aggression out on. And as a pastor, you can't be in that position because you've got to minister to their hurt. So so get somebody up, whether it be an elder or a deacon or somebody like that to read it 
And so they don't need to go and process as a pastor, have them read it verbatim. You pop in after it, you minister to the people. And, and there was a whole heap of other things, but I followed it to the letter. Didn't add any of my own thoughts. Didn't, didn't run with what God told me. I ran totally with a mark told me. And we ministered to our church. And at the end of the, the service, people are obviously weeping and crying, but I had all these older people in the church come up and hugging me. And they're saying, man, for such a young man, you are so smart. You are so wise. We've never seen anything handled so brilliantly in a church. You are, you are just awesome. They're hugging me. And I'm thinking to myself, thank you very much. And people are like, well, you weren't that smart. I go, yeah, I was smart. I was smart enough to know I wasn't smart enough to know. And so I ask somebody who knows. Problem with most Christians is we just presume we know. We just presume we know. So you come in and you tell me how you're going to get into ministry. You're not in ministry. I've had this happen hundreds of times. You're not in ministry. You want to get in ministry. So you tell me how you're going to get in ministry. And I tell you, that's not going to work. But obviously you're smarter than me because you've never been in ministry. I've only been doing this thing 30 years. I've only seen something like 40 people credentialed in ministry out of my ministry. So obviously I'm a moron. I have no idea, but you've never done this. You know how to do it. People do that. I'm trying to give a path, but you know how to do it. Better than somebody who does. If I go down and get my car fixed with a mechanic, I never go to the mechanic and say, hey, let me give you a couple of suggestions on how you can fix the engine. Because the reason I'm using a mechanic is because I have no idea how to fix a car. Only thing she got excited about all morning. (laughs) Only thing in my whole message today, only thing that I get an amen from is because of my... (laughs) That was the sound of my heart breaking right there. That's my heart. It's a part of my heart breaking off and floating down. (laughs) But it's true. So wisdom sometimes is just stopping back and going, mm, I don't have any wisdom. Please help me. Sometimes wisdom saying, I'm broken, I'm hurting. I need healing. Please help me, God. Can we just get this year on the right foundation as a church, as a, as a people of God? If you're visiting from out of town, we're so glad to have you. If you're watching online, so glad that you've connected. Uh, uh, online is so cool, but can we just do that as a people? Can we just like position ourselves for all that God wants to do and, and, and maybe dream for bigger things, but come to God and saying, God, the thing I'm going to pray about right now is give me wisdom. I want wisdom. I want understanding. I want discernment. I want knowledge. I want to get, I want to get smarter. If you believe that today, why don't you stand to your feet right across this place? Come on, let's stand and give God a great round of applause and say, give me wisdom, Lord.